0: Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski.
1: Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, and it's extra luxurious because we're in Lourdes, France uh, on a pilgrimage, and it's a wonderful thing to have a French version of our Catholic Cafe, is it not Robert Hutton? Very good. Very good. Today, we're going to talk about something that may be a little bit of a challenge for for many people. We're going to talk about the just the ability to say the name Jesus Christ in the public square and to live our our, our Catholic faith or, or to live any faith.
0: Religious freedom.
1: That's right. We're going to talk about, it. in fact, we're going to call this the erosion of uh, religious freedom in America, and a lot of people think that wow Weren't we just founded on the basic principle I know, of, the, of being free? Didn't the religion. pilgrims
0: come over here for religious freedom? The United, not here, right. to the United States and, uh, for uh, religious freedom?
1: Well, isn't that interesting that we're pilgrims here in Lourdes, Prairie, To talk about right. pilgrims <laughs> going to
0: the States for religious freedom.
1: That's exactly right. So we brought a great person uh, to discuss this with. us, very knowledgeable on this topic. And it's Marie Hilliard. She's a, a dame of Malta. That's correct. Uh, and uh, Marie, you are also the director of the Office of Bioethics and Public Policy at the National Catholic Bioethics Center. So welcome to the luxurious
2: thank you, corner Deacon booth of the Joe Catholic Cafe, and Robert. Very thank, happy to be thank here. Thank you.
1: The average person listening might think, "Well, I don't know that my religious freedom has been infringed mm-hmm. in any way. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's eroding." You know, what's, so what's the concept of erosion? Let's talk about the word erosion.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. You know, erosion is not—it's not like a uh, like a chunk of land falls into the sea suddenly. Exactly. It's that sort of slow process. Look, exactly. How does Deacon that relate Joe. to uh, religious freedom?
2: Well, that erosion—it can be so subtle in terms of our own awareness of what's happening. Uh, incrementally, we see the understanding of the concept of the separation of church and state, which is there to protect us, being used against us in terms of our free exercise of religion, because we're in a country that has valued diversity. Actually, as Robert had said earlier, we're in a country that was founded on religious liberty. People came to our great country for freedom, particularly religious freedom and tolerance. And over time, that great understanding of tolerance has been used to basically try to silence us in terms of pr- protecting our own beliefs and our ability to express that in So in other in words, to be,
1: to be tolerant of someone is to say, well, then, if here's how we define it. You're not allowed to say anything against or about that. You're not supposed to stand up in, in the public square and say, this is what I believe. To be tolerant of others, you wouldn't be allowed to do that.
2: Exactly, Deacon Jeff. And I think the last... Bias that is publicly acceptable seems to seems to have now become the Catholic Church and our ability to not just uh, express ourselves in terms of our family experiences and in the voting booth, but in public acts and public displays in trying to pray outside of. Uh, Abortion centers in which we are not trying to do any acts of violence just to bring another alternative to women who are very vulnerable
1: I remember when in, in high school and i 'm dating myself here in the in the '70s I remember specifically this was one of the first times I realized that there was any problem uh, when we were asked to stop praying at a football at football games. we mm-hmm. used to have a, a prayer, and I remember very specifically it was a Christian prayer, but our public high school suddenly had this policy and there was a little bit of an uproar but it kind of washed away and people sort of accepted and tolerated that situation uh, but that was sort of the extent of my understanding at that time of, of, of this erosion of religious freedom but obviously it's gotten a lot worse hasn't it
2: it certainly has and it's so inconsistent if you look at many of our government buildings in which we're not allowed to have the ten commandments we're not allowed to have public prayer and let you yet you see images of pagan gods from the greeks You see those images in terms of some of the great um, historical figures who might have been representatives of justice in terms of Greek law or Roman law. We have those icons in our public buildings. Those are really religious symbols, some of them obviously pagan symbols, but we're not allowed to bring our own... Um, majority faith be it the abrahamic peoples it's not just christianity you know the ten commandments came from our jewish ancestors uh, descendants of abraham the muslims christians uh, and jews in the united states all are descendants of abraham
1: do you think though that that sometimes that the tolerance or that you say the inconsistency where we do have some images mm-hmm. do you think that that might speak to an underlying maybe bias against the one true god well
2: one of the problems, I think, in being a majority is that we are so, so concerned about not violating the religious liberty of other folks that in our majority, we deny our own right to express our religion and our beliefs. And it's not just an expression in terms of prayer. The First Amendment is very, very clear in terms of the rights of folks. There is the Establishment Clause, meaning there'll be no established religion, which is why our forefathers came and mothers came to this country. Uh, so that there won't be a state religion, as we have in some countries, uh, the Islamic countries and even Great Britain, uh, where there's uh, the the Anglican Church, the Church of England. But at the same time, the First Amendment protects the free exercise of religion. And um, Stephen Carter, a great constitutional scholar, not a Catholic from Yale University, a lawyer, uh, has said how we're seeing that First prong of the First Amendment, the establishment clause, being used against the free exercise because people have a great misunderstanding.
1: Yeah, they, I was going to say because I always hear the, the establishment clause, clause, you know, put out there as, well, this is the reason why we're not allowed to exactly. to do this or to do that. Mm-hmm. When, in fact, all it's saying is that the, there's not going to be a government. You're not going to be forced to mm-hmm. be uh, Church of England,
3: mm-hmm. exactly. <laughs> essentially. That's, exactly. that's what that's
1: saying. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, we've uh, somehow, several people have misinterpreted that and maybe even gone beyond what its intent was.
2: Right. Even in our laws, we're seeing promulgated. And, in fact, we do have a state religion, I believe, in our country, and that's secular relativism. We have enshrined secular relativism, which means there are no absolutes. And then what we all agree upon in terms of laws that are promulgating, are promulgated becomes the ethical ethos of a country. So in a sense, we do have an established religion, which is relativism. It's whatever any individual person wants to endorse, believe, and then act upon and that's where we get the violation of the vulnerable. Because if the majority votes and basically whatever we vote on then becomes the ethos, uh, what is ethically good, you have to be in the majority or you are very vulnerable. And that means the unborn, persons with disabilities, and persons at the end of life who are voiceless.
1: But if, if what you're saying, there's another inconsistency in what you're saying, really. If there is a majority of, of a religious view, right? Mm-hmm. Why can't that majority just vote to accept uh, uh, and, and not allow this uh, uh, in other words, we, we have a majority of Christians in, in the United States, although right that may change right that may change mm-hmm. uh, uh, at some point in time in the future. But the point is do I guess what I'm getting at is are people ordinary people realizing that they have a voice and that they can actually affect how we uh, are, allow this freedom of religion to take place?
2: I think a lot is based on the way we have explained it and expressed it. It isn't in terms of our beliefs uh, and and protecting the vulnerable because the Catholic Church says so or because the Bible says so. Everything that the Church has been able to express and understand, uh, teach, can be known by reason in terms of natural moral law. Right. Fidius
1: at Ratio is one of the great encyclicals of John mm-hmm. Paul II. It's just this beautiful understanding that it's mm-hmm. like, you know what? The church loves science because the science mm-hmm. leads us to all truth. That's right. right? So we, we love, and the author of truth is God, so therefore science is going to be mm-hmm. a good thing to get us closer to God. Mm-hmm. And so this idea that we can reason, that that our Catholic faith makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's not just some kind of weird, kind of mm-hmm. bizarre, ritualistic thing that we do. All of these things make sense. Uh, and that's a beautiful thing to understand.
0: But Deacon, can we, I mean, we've talked about generals, about generally that erosion of re- religious liberty, but what's the specific, where, where can I see my religious liberty has been eroded? Can you give some specific examples of where that's happening in our country today?
2: Certainly. We just had a very, very recent tragic case, and it's in the media, so I can um, express the name of a nurse, a wonderful nurse in New York. Uh, her last name is De Carlo. And she, upon hiring and throughout her career as an operating room nurse, made it very clear that she would not participate in an abortion. And the hospital threatened to go after her license in terms of the state nursing board, as well as uh, accusing her of not being um, practicing in terms of a standard, in terms of negligence, and caring for a patient who the hospital said needed an abortion. But uh, in terms of the category of urgency for that abortion could they get someone else to do it there were t- there was there were hours actually to do that long story short is uh, much against her own beliefs and everything she had shared she was forced to, to participate in that abortion and very recently, when she tried, because there were those who finally came to her defense, there are some good pro, pro bono groups that will, um, the Alliance Defense Fund being one of them, that will uh, come to the defense of persons whose consciences have been violated, particularly in cal- health care, um, came to her aid, and there was a, a, a court case, and it was deemed that she did not have a private right of action against the hospital after this occurred. Uh, that is a very recent case, but if we look even to our legislatures that are promulgating laws that are violating the very people's rights who've sent our legislatures uh, to states. Uh, there are many examples, and so we can get to those.
1: Yeah, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some more specific ways in which our freedoms, especially the freedom of religion, are being eroded. And uh, I want to do that right after we take a, a little short break, uh, so we have plenty of time to talk about those things. Before we do that, I want to remind everyone at home that we have a great website. It's www.thecatholiccafe.com. Uh, and I want folks to email me. Uh, let me know what you think about this topic and what topics you might want to hear in the future. And that's Deacon Jeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And so, uh, with that, we're going to be right back.
3: I'm Bess and this is another great moment in church history. Late in the 11th century, next to the Holy Sepulchre in the Holy Land was a Benedictine monastery called St. Maria Latina and the guest house of this monastery was begun the first hospital called the Hospital of Jerusalem and it was dedicated to serving not only the poor but pilgrims to the Holy Land as well as those fighting in the Crusades against the Ottoman forces oppressing Jerusalem. This hospital fell into the care of a dedicated and humble Benedictine monk at the monastery named Gerard of Amalfi. Known as Blessed Gerard he founded a new order in the year 1099 called the Hospitallers of St. John, or the Knights of St. John, dedicated to St. John the Baptist. This order is now called the Order of Malta. Blessed Gerard remained dedicated to the twofold mission of the Order his entire life, the defense of the faith and the assistance to the poor and the suffering. There is an old painting in Rome which depicts Blessed Gerard handcuffed and holding a loaf of bread. Tradition tells the story that while Jerusalem was under the control of the Ottomans, he stood at the walls and pretended to throw stones at the crusaders outside of the city. What he was actually throwing was bread to satisfy the hunger of those Christians fighting to retake the city. As the order grew, so also did support for its good works. Soon more hospitals were being built, and the Knights of Malta were ever in demand to defend the faith, in some cases to the death. But the knights never lost sight of their purpose. Even after battle, before they were fed, they personally fed and attended to the needs of those in their care at the hospitals. Blessed Gerard died simply on September 3rd in 1120. His epitaph in the convent he founded aptly sums up his life and reads, Here lies Gerard, the humblest man among the dwellers in the East, the servant of the poor, a welcoming friend to strangers. He was lowly in demeanor, but within him shone a noble heart. The measure of his goodness may be seen within these walls. He was provident in many things, painstaking in all he did. He undertook many tasks of diverse nature, stretching out his arms diligently to many lands. He gathered from everywhere the means to feed his people. The works of Blessed Gerard continue today as the Order of Malta spans the globe with its works of aid to the poor and suffering and the defense of the truths of the Catholic faith. I'm Bess Drzezemski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome
0: back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the
1: luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and I'm sitting here with Marie Hilliard. And Marie Hilliard is the director of the Office of Bioethics and Public Policy at the National Catholic Bioethics Center. Very important place, by the way. It's a wonderful – we had an interview with Father uh, Tadeusz Paholczyk. Uh, Father Tad, we called him because I right. didn't want like to say he that You did a nephil. pretty good job of <laughs>
2: pronouncing his name, however. And, uh,
1: uh, um, w- we enjoyed that, and uh, we enjoy so much and benefit so much from the work of the uh, mm-hmm. of the center that it's just awesome that you. Great are, place to work. Yeah, it, it sounds great. Sounds great. If and we're you know again, this is it's wonderful to know that there are people that are out there fighting for our rights.
2: Well, one of the things I think is uh, something we'd like to share because people are unaware of it. We have a twenty four seven free consultation line, and I do the coordination of that. And actually, uh, all over Holy Week uh, period, I was on call twenty four seven. And uh, we get about 1,400 calls per year, and those aren't our official ones from Catholic health care agencies or dioceses. Those are just
1: folks calling in that have issues that they really, really want really, to find really out. Really
2: difficult issues, people who at end-of-life care, uh, people in terms of uh, miscarriages in the middle of them wanting to know what to do with fetal remains.
1: Well, how do we get in touch with the National Catholic Bioethics Center and find out about that particular service? Well,
2: we're, you can reach us by phone 215 877 Okay. I'll say that again, 215-877-2660. We have an emergency line. When you call for an emergency after hours, there will be an, um, a tape that will bring you through the uh, ways to contact an ethicist. But and a lot of
1: people now like to use the, uh, the, the, the Internet, uh, and that's mm, what I always wait yeah. for. I ignore the phone number, and then I wait for it. I know there's going to be a URL coming up.
2: Well, the, the, um, we have five days to respond to the Internet request, the webmail uh, request, and we're at na- n- org. That's for National Catholic Bioethics Center.
1: ncbcenter.org.
2: And uh, those are for the non-emergency consultations. Okay,
1: that's good to know. So if you have an emergency, that phone number is very important to Mm -hmm. have. But you could probably get that phone number from the website, too. Absolutely. All right, very good. So if you have those uh, situations, you want to talk to somebody who knows what they're talking about, that's where you want to go. So, Marie, let's continue on because Robert had just started asking about where are we seeing this because I know – that every time I'll, I'll say something, maybe I'm preaching or maybe uh, uh, I'm talking uh, to someone on the street, which sometimes sounds like preaching. And, uh, and so they, they, they give me this sort of deer-in-the-head-likes blank stare when I say things that I think, well, did you not know that this is happening? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what are the, some of the things that, are, that might open a few eyes and give us uh, an idea of what's really going on with our religious freedoms?
2: Certainly. And we have examples that are anecdotal that have actually gone to the courts. I mentioned one in the earlier segment. But um, also in our state legislatures and also in our administrative commissions, we'll see mandates coming down. For example, up until about a month ago, where uh, pharmacists have been mandated to fill all legal prescriptions in five states, we have now just some good news in terms of Illinois. They won a court challenge in Illinois in terms of not having to violate conscience in the provision of Drugs that are potentially legal, like the morning after pill. Uh, in a number of states, we'll see uh, legislative mandates for pharmacists to fill the morning-after pill, but the five that I mentioned were all legally valid prescriptions. One of those states is the state of Washington, which has assisted suicide mm. uh, on the books and is actually uh, carrying that out. And all there's, there, there are uh, exemptions in the law on conscience for participating in the assisted suicide. Uh, there is great question what the protections are for pharmacists in the states that, that states that they have so to... So the reserve. religious
1: freedom, the, the the erosion here is... How to protect those people whose moral and ethical background, their religious beliefs and understanding, prohibit them from participating in these.
2: And what we're things. very fearful of, and we have interns and residents and those interested in going into healthcare and to pharmacy calling us saying, Can I, as a Catholic, and it isn't just being a Catholic, it's a, a person who understands natural moral law and right. the dignity of the human person, am I going to be able to exercise my, prof- my profession? in a culture that's no longer recognizing rights of conscience. And Deacon Jeff, you defined it very well. It isn't just religious liberty, it's rights of conscience. Persons who are of no faith, persons who understand natural moral law, the dignity of the human person, ought to have that same right to practice healthcare. We're not asking for a privilege based on our religion. We're basically saying we have this right to be able to engage in healthcare. So it isn't just protecting the vulnerable in terms of our laws; it's protecting those who want to protect the vulnerable in our delivery of care. Marie, and how
0: do you respond? Because I, I had a case I knew very well where there was a, a, a judge that did not want that you know, had a conscience. Was uh, wanted to recuse himself if it was a case involving abortion, mm-hmm. and somebody would come and say, "Oh well, but if all judges did that, then." by golly, there'd be no way to get the service. So how do you respond when, say, a Catholic that really feels giving an abortion, a pill that causes an abortion, is doing a serious evil act, how do you respond when the other side says, well, but we've got to make them, because if we didn't, then uh, if everybody quit doing it, then uh, we wouldn't be able to give the morning-after pill.
1: And they claim that the uh, the, 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 the government, right, the, protect- right. the Constitution is not going to allow them to uh, selectively enforce certain religious uh, things, I mean, yeah, you're right. How do, you, how do you deal with that? And I
2: think, again, we have to define it not in terms of religion, but in, in terms of rights of conscience. But just think about the beautiful laws that we have to protect persons with disabilities. I chair the Ethics Committee for the National Catholic Partnership on Disability. I'm also on their board of directors. And we have wonderful laws to accommodate those who have challenges in terms of their ability to function in certain uh, professions, uh, people can enter health care as long as we uh, create environments in which they can uh, function, function safely and protect those for whom we care. Why are we not willing to make those same accommodations based on conscience? We do it based on uh, uh, the needs of folks to enter professions who might have um, mobility disability or uh, visual impairment. We do that. So we're not asking for any special privilege. We're saying we live in this wonderful country that respects diversity. And if you look at the the uh, U.S. Constitution, there isn't a specific right to health care that everybody can have anything they want. There is a right to religious liberty. That's what we're founded upon. But we have been very selective. And if we look at the two phenomenally erroneous court decisions uh, that went to the highest courts in New York and in California that have stated that Catholic healthcare care and Catholic charities are not entitled to a religious exemption in having to provide in their uh, per, their, their uh, packages for health care benefits for their employees. IUDs, and which are intrauterine devices, as well as contraceptives, because basically Catholic charities, so says the court decision in both states, and Catholic hospitals are not Catholic entities because we'll serve non-Catholics and we'll hire non-Catholics. Ridiculous decision. And think about acting that out. If you carry that a little bit further... If we ask for baptismal certificates in our emergency rooms, they'd say that is outrageous. But because we will serve others in those two states, Catholic charities and Catholic hospitals are not deemed eligible for a religious exemption. So we have uh, been so schizophrenic in applying the law. More
1: inconsistency, as you said.
2: Well, incredibly so, because in those decisions, the Supreme Court decisions, uh, highest court, it's not called the Supreme Court in New York, In both uh, those cases, they talk about issues that are about women's rights and how those take priority over religious liberty, whereas the right to health care isn't enshrined in the Constitution. I do believe everyone should have access to uh, quality health care, but religious liberty has been enshrined, so it is quite schizophrenic in terms of its application.
0: Do you think that has to do with that we started as a religious country and there's been sort of a devouring? You talked about moral relativism growing, that there's almost an anti-Christian growth in this country where people are becoming antagonistic to Christian values.
2: Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly, there is an antagonism to uh, faith, not just Christianity, but faith and its expression. I had shared with you earlier uh, that I had been the director of a state Catholic conference, which meant I was the bishop's liaison at the state capitol. And whenever I shared what I did, I'd be flying on a plane somewhere, and they'd say, oh, that's a violation of the separation of church and state. Whereas if we don't promulgate laws that are based on value systems, it will just be the most powerful having domain over the vulnerable We have to have a value-based, and it doesn't necessarily have to be Christianity or uh, Judaism. It could be the agnostic who has a good, solid understanding, again, of natural moral law and the dignity of the human person. And relativism has just uh, stepped up into the forefront because we're supposed to be tolerant of all beliefs, and we should be tolerant, but that doesn't mean that we then use that relativism to say, well, there's no standard. There is a standard. Go back to Aristotle in terms of the understanding of natural moral law.
1: What is the individual who's sitting there, well, saying, well, this is not my fight. I don't know how to do it. What do I do? Do I do I call my congressman? What do I do?
2: Well, in most states where there's more than one diocese, there is a state Catholic conference. In those states where there is only one diocese, there's always an office be it social justice office, pro-life office, that's involved with the bishop in the teachings of natural moral laws, as expressed by the church, are being brought into the legislative arena. And many states have websites in which uh, one can find out what the latest legislation is. And if one is looking at the federal level and wanting to um, understand what the issues are in Congress, particularly related in terms of our recent health care reform and our concerns about uh, protection of the unborn and protection of conscience, because there are big problems uh, yeah. that we can identify in the health care reform legislation. Uh, the National Committee for Human Life Amendment has a wonderful webpage that has alerts, and you can go on that webpage and it will actually, you put in your address, it will educate you and also, on your behalf, Send a letter to your congressperson uh, on your behalf. I do it all the time, and I get uh, letters back from my congresspersons.
1: The key is to get involved. The key is Mm -hmm. not to let others fight the fight Mm -hmm. because, obviously, the fight's a lot easier when everyone joins in for what's right and what's good.
2: Right, and part of this is being educated to the issues. And these organizations, be it your state Catholic conference, your local Diocesan Pro-Life uh, Social Justice Office, or the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops and the National Committee for Human Life Amendment. Great educational tools. Great educational tools.
1: That's wonderful. Thank you so much, uh, Marie Hilliard, in uh, educating us a little bit on uh, mm-hmm. on what we need to do about our, our the, re- the erosion of our religious freedoms. It's been a very uh, uh, good conversation.
2: Great being with you.
1: All right, well, let's close in prayer. Mm-hmm. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Heavenly Father, you are the author of all truth and the sole means of salvation. And you call us to proclaim that truth. Help us to be strong and stand up for you in the public square so that all we encounter will have the opportunity to know you more dearly. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the
0: name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to Jeff at Cafe.